You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Keith Sanderson, animal advocate, writer, and human companion to Max A. Pooch, canine crusader for animals and the environment. Max and I thank you for joining us, and we dedicate this episode as we dedicate every episode to those amazing people who work to save the lives and or improve conditions of companion, domestic, or wild animals. Dog and puppy behavior expert Sarah Hodgson is our guest today. Sarah is an author, columnist, media personality, and inventor. Her trademark training techniques help dogs become well-behaved members of the family. Her successful approach blends the science of dog training with the compassion of child rearing. And Sarah has appeared on major TV networks and Animal Planet. And she also writes a blog for the Huff Post. Sarah is with us today to discuss dogs and biting, including answering the question, should dogs always be blamed when humans are bitten? But first, we need to take a few moments for our sponsors who help make this show possible. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. Dyson. The new Dyson Animal Backs are powerful bagless upright backings for homes with pets. Air muscle and radio root cyclone technology generates the strongest suction power to powerfully remove dust, dirt, and pet hair from the home or car. To order your Dyson Animal Vac, go to DysonDeals.com. DysonDeals.com to order your Dyson Animal Vac today. Dyson. Music to your ears. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates. I'm your host, Keith Sanderson, and our guest today is Sarah Hodgson. And Sarah is going to discuss something, sadly, every dog is capable of doing, biting a human. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates. Hi, Keith. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. It's great having you. You know, I read in a recent HuffPost blog that you wrote, I read, to quote you, you wrote, I love to read the news, but disdain headlines that read dogs bite humans or any derivation of dog maimed, dog kills, or dog injures. And you continue to write, dogs are constantly blamed, but that isn't always fair. There are some situations where it's the person who has pushed the dog beyond its limits. What do you mean by that, Sarah? You know, we all have limits, Keith. I'm sure, you know, life, even for Max, at times becomes overwhelming or stressful. I know, for example, our neighbors are having a tree chopped down right now, and they everybody arrived at 8 a.m., and the dogs were all in a stir, and they were really being pushed to their limits. I have two that are, you know, territorial. So when a dog is pushed to their limits, they're just feeling a little stressed out. And different dogs get stressed out by different triggers. Many dogs get stressed out when humans, who are so much bigger than they are, approach them. And while the human is very enthusiastic to make a connection with the dog, if the dog doesn't know the human, they can feel very stressed by that and thus react. 
Well, you know, what you're saying seems to run contrary to what uh, a lot of authorities seem to make us want to believe. And that they say that any time a dog bites a human, that dog is dangerous and needs to be put down. Is that really true? Well, I mean, it's true for the authorities, right? Because people think of dogs as just big stuffed animals with a heartbeat. But anybody who knows a dog and knows what different breeds were bred for and knows that a dog, just like a human being or a child, wants to have a purpose, wants to have a job, wants to have something to do, I would have to disagree. I do find it very disheartening because I've watched people stick their hand in a car window with a dog. And I know one of my dogs would probably bite that hand if it was stuck through the window. So I have to be mindful because I'll be blamed if somebody comes up to my property and pokes at my dog. You know, that's interesting. Are there warning signs or, or that I should be looking for when I see it uh, come up to a dog that I don't know or even a dog that I do know? That's a great point because there are so many warning signs. And the point of my writing this article, I'm just putting up the next piece tomorrow. And, you know, it's a top secret about canine aggression. The article poses the concept that there are many, many signals dogs give that would cue you into the fact that they're about to bite you. They're warning you. It would like, if you were talking right up in my face, I'd say, Keith, stand back. You know, I'd have words. I'd maybe posture with my hands and you would take a step back. But dogs really don't have words. So if we as humans understand what their signals are, we can avoid a dog bite. You know, you wrote 10 ways to avoid a dog bite in your HuffPost article. And what's the number one thing, do you think? Staring. Your mother taught you in kindergarten, or you certainly learned at school, that staring is rude. And staring is also perceived as confrontational, especially by animals that don't have language to communicate. So if a dog is staring at you and their body is very still, what they are doing is watching you. And the reason they're watching you is because they can't interpret and they're not comfortable with what you might do next. Now, what you might do next is just lean over to kiss their head because you're not aware but if you lean over and kiss the head of a dog that's not comfortable, he may be forced to bite you because in his mind, it looks like you're attacking him. So dogs who stare at people should be avoided. People who stare at dogs make dogs feel very uncomfortable. So I urge all my clients and all my listeners and all my readers, don't stare at a dog you don't know. I don't even stare at any one of my four dogs unless it's like a loving moment at the end of the day, but I don't stare them down. I think this is such a travesty and so many dog training circles and journals encouraging lay people who really don't know that much about training a dog to be staring at them. You know, that's good advice. I had another question that happened with me the other day. I was walking Max down the street on leash and and uh, the postman came by and, and Max saw him and wagged his tail and and the postman came over and I let Max let him pet Max because he knows him. And he said, oh yeah, you know, anytime a dog wags his tail, you know, I know he's friendly. And I tried to explain to him that that may not always be true. Was I right or was the postman right? Well, there are a lot of generalizations that confuse people with dogs and wagging the tail is one of them. The tail is always talking. So the tail is a very, very good place to look if you want to know what a dog is thinking. 
a tail that wags like your dog's obviously a Labrador retriever mix. I have two retriever mixes and the tail when it wags is very broad. It's like a big broad smile. It's about half mast. It's not over their body. It's not under their body. And so that is a welcoming invitation for a socialization and the meet and greet. But if a tail is up very stiff or wagging very rapidly, that's the sign of agitation. That dog should be avoided. If the tail is below the rump or under the body, that dog is also feeling extremely stressed. And nobody wants to stress a dog, especially a strange dog that you don't know. So if the tail is up over its body or under its body, the dog is either trying to avoid your eye contact or staring directly at you. What you should do to protect yourself and to ease the dog's tension is to stand sideways to the dog, keep your voice calm, take deep breaths, and look down or at the person you're speaking to. Well, that's good advice. Now, you know, something else you said is that, you know, people should be aware of a dog breed's personality. What does that mean? I mean, aren't all dogs sort of like dogs or do they <laughs> act differently to strangers? No, it's it's um, that's a funny way of putting it. This is actually the piece that's going up tomorrow. It talks about different dog breeds, and and a dog breed is like a little ebook. Uh, figuring out a dog breed is like reading a little ebook on what that dog was originally bred to do. So we have two retrievers who love to retrieve. They're very social. They love to make friends. You have very few dog bites from those breeds on the books because that's their personality. But a dog breed that was bred to protect a home or to be a police dog or a watchdog, those dogs don't take to strangers at all. They don't like strangers. They feel threatened by strangers. And no matter how excited or happy you might be at seeing, you know, a big, beautiful Rottweiler, if you throw your face in that Rottweiler's face and he's unexpected or he's staring at you, he's going to use his teeth because that is what he was bred to do period. If you go up to a terrier, now a terrier was bred to to work very much on its own instinct. They were not bred to reference man for any sort of direction. They ran around and grabbed rats and badgers and cleared the farm of any vermin. If they have a bone or chicken bone, and you even as the owner rush up and as a sudden surprise, grab it out of the dog's mouth, it's as likely to bite you as it would be to bite a strange dog. It's just a knee-jerk reaction. Terriers are much more protective of their resources. Territorial and police dogs and watchdogs are much more protective of their personal space, certainly of their yard and their home, but also of their personal space and their owner. So knowing a breed can really help you understand what dogs are going to be friendly towards you and what aren't and who aren't, what aren't, either who or what. Anyhow. (laughs) Another thing you said, and I thought it was sort of interesting, if the dog, you're referring to the fact if the dog doesn't take to you when you walk up, because some people, you know, want to pet every dog they see, you say, don't take it personally. Does that sort of fit in like what you were talking about just before about dogs are wired differently? And Yeah, and there's so many factors, Keith, like... I have this beautiful German Shepherd. I got him when he was a little bit older, but I socialized him so much. And I taught him when I said the word, say hello, to stand next to somebody, not in front of them. So instead of face to face, he'll turn his body to the side and you can pet the length of his coat. So that makes him feel better because he's not 
standing face to face, which to dogs is very confrontational, and he's standing sideways. But so many people say, oh, I got bitten by a shepherd, or I went up to a shepherd and they snapped at me. And there's so many factors that go into whether that dog is going to be accepting or friendly, even if it's like a retriever. If, if you, let's say you adopt another retriever, but it's had no socialization with people, and it only likes you. Well, somebody coming up is going to feel, oh, they're going to feel so wonderful. Max loves me. I feel great. And they're going to reach out for your other dog who will back away, maybe even hide behind you. It's nothing personal. It's what the dog brings to the table. What breed is this? What training has it had? What socialization experiences did it have as a young puppy? And these are all important things for people to think about when they're adopting a dog. If you're a really friendly, outgoing person, then don't go to the shelter and adopt a skittish shepherd. The dog will love you, but it's not going to love all the people that thunder through your house and run up to you on the street. You said something to me that uh, made me think about it. A friend of mine just got a highest tech uh, handheld uh, electronic device and just spent a lot of time learning how to use it and teaching it what it wants to know. And that same person expects his dog to know exactly what to do. It's funny. He says, that dumb dog doesn't know how to do this. Does it break your heart? Oh, yeah, yeah. At the same time, he's sitting there. You know, he's he's programming Eager. this thing and doing all this thing with the with the inanimate object. And then his and I'm just saying, boy, this is a poor dog. An accident waiting to happen. It's so sad because dogs are so much like children, and you really shouldn't become a parent of either species unless you have a high dose of empathy and patience and understanding. Every dog has a different personality. They bring all sorts of things to the table which can enrich your life experience or can frustrate the heck out of you. And it really is dependent on you to help teach them how to live within the parameters of your lifestyle because they don't know. Well, that's great advice. But we need to take a break right now. When we return, I want to talk to Sarah about some more information about how to avoid being bitten by a dog. And maybe she can share some statistics on dog bites each year or maybe how many dogs are put down because they bite. We'll be right back after this break. We'll be right back right after these messages. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Tim Link, animal communicator and pet expert and host of Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have you ever wanted to know what your pet is really thinking? Do you want to find out if they truly understand what you're trying to tell them? Ever wish you could build a better understanding and closer relationship with your pet? Well, now you can. Learning to communicate with animals is a four-part on-demand workshop. In the workshop, you'll learn the essential techniques that are necessary to communicate with animals, including what is animal communication, breathing correctly to achieve the perfect state to communicate with your animals at a deeper level, using guided meditation exercises and method to communicate with animals, and how to send and receive information from your animals. So if you're wanting to learn how to communicate and connect with your animals at a deeper level, visit PetLifeRadio.com forward slash workshop and purchase and download Learning to Communicate with Animals. You'll be glad you did. Victoria Schaefer, aspiring actress, babysitter extraordinaire, college student, and animal enthusiast, is on her own for the first time in New York City. Follow Victoria and her two dogs, Rue and Echo, as she cares for her furry friends and juggles home life and career, all the while managing to survive in the world's most hectic city. The exciting animal adventures and secret stories from both ends of the leash that make up the tales of the city. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. 
Let's Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs> Welcome back to Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates. I'm your host, Keith Sanderson, and our guest is Sarah Hodgson, dog trainer, blogger, and author. Sarah, as an animal advocate, it saddens me when I think of the dogs that are put down each year because of the just thousands or hundreds of thousands because they bite a human. And how many of those dog incidents could be prevented? Do you have any statistics on the number of humans that are bitten by dogs each year? Well, the interesting thing is that there are about 32 fatalities. So there are about 32 dogs that actually kill people in in this country per year. And while that's a breathtaking number, bear in mind that we have about 60 deaths due to electrocution and about 184 deaths from carbon monoxide poisoning. So put in perspective, certainly fewer than those. And That's one statistic. The number of dog bites that are reported is quite high. It's about 4.5 million reported dog bites each year, which is about 2% of the population. Many of those, 65 to about 75% of those are children. And one asks oneself, well, why why do dogs bite children more than they bite children? grown-ups. And the thing to bear in mind is that children are perceived more like prey animals or other dogs than they are like grown-ups. So a lot of times where a dog will give a warning signal, say when it's chewing a bone, where it will stare at another dog and growl, another dog would back up, but a two-year-old can't possibly perceive, you know, what's in the dog mind, climbs over the dog and gets bitten. Now, again, how do we reduce the number of dog bites? Well, we have to educate owners. We have to educate the public as to the fact that these are not stuffed animals with heartbeats. And there are telltale warning signs that your dog is feeling uncomfortable. If my dog is feeling stressed, I will remove my dog from the situation. I won't drag them along and choke them along on a leash. In my opinion, Keith, the leash is one of the worst inventions that man ever created for dog. Can you explain that? That's really a a statement I never heard to uh, hear from a dog trainer and a behaviorist. Uh, That's really an astounding statement. Share it with us. Share why with us, please. Okay. Well, when most people use a leash to strap, you know, to a collar around the dog's neck, which is then asphyxiating the dog, they hold the leash too tightly, which then thrusts the dog into a uncomfortable position. The dog pulls to get away from that restraint. The person pulls back. The person is completely well-intending. It's a law. They cannot avoid it. However, for the dog, it's extremely frustrating and it makes them act out. And for a dog that has any propensity towards aggressive behavior, they're going to get very reactive when forced to walk straight on to another dog or another person or held back from a natural behavior like chasing a squirrel or anything like that. So it's a necessary evil. I 
teach dogs all the time how to walk on a leash, but you have to understand that from the dog's perspective, it's very frustrating. So you've got to use a lot of positive reinforcement, a lot of encouragement, the right collar, and the right collar is not right for every dog. There's several collars that can be used, and the wrong dog on the the wrong collar on a good dog will turn them into a reactive menace, and the right collar on the right dog can have the opposite effect. So Leashes are necessary. I'm a big advocate of using long lines and positive reinforcement to incur good choices with dogs. But leashes can often spur aggressive reactions in even docile animals. I guess an example of that would be if I were walking down the street with Max and saw, oh, let's say, a Great Dane, a much bigger dog. And if I tensed up and pulled the leash back, Max would probably sense my tension and react perhaps a little differently than he might if I just kept natural and maybe just changed my direction and walking a little bit. Is that a good assumption? Yeah, but then it ties into the first thing we talked about, which is staring. If you have Max on a leash and you see a Great Dane, you say, Max, you want a toy or Max, you want a kibble? Get him to focus up on you. Call him back. I will teach all my dogs and students back, which means get behind me. You have to stay behind me now. There's a distraction. And you want Max to reference you instead of look at the Great Dane. So you teach him a word, not now or leave it. I walk all four of my dogs all at the same time. We pass all sorts of dogs. And all my dogs know they can't stare. They cannot look at that dog. If I say not now, they have to look up at me. When they do, I give them all sorts of treats and loving. But we walk faster when we're going by distraction. And my blanket statement is to people who routinely say, oh, can my dog socialize or can, as their dog's dragging them into my pack in an out of control fashion on a flexi leash. And my standard statement is I do not socialize my dogs on leash, which I wish everybody would say, because it would lead to less tension for the dogs and less stress. If you can bring your dog to a parking lot that's, you know, low traffic or to a grass field, let the leash go, then the dogs can interact normally. If you have them tethered to you, there's going to be twisting of the leash. One dog will try to climb on, one person will pull back, say a loud statement. It gets all misconstrued. I do not, whether I'm walking one dog or four, I do not socialize my dog on leash unless I can drop the leash and let them interact naturally. That's interesting because I know that uh, some dogs, you know, in a, particularly I guess if they're a smaller dog and a big one approaches them and they're both on leashes, that smaller dog may even feel more threatened because sure. he doesn't have an escape. And, sure. And he knows that or she knows that, that that dog knows exactly what its boundaries are if it's walked any length of time. So going on about owners, uh, what's another thing an owner can do to help reduce the potential that his dog or her dog may bite someone? Well, I mean, if all owners could do a simply Sarah session for 90 minutes, that would make the world a, a happier place. The thing they have to do is just educate themselves, whether they educate themselves by watching the show there's some that are better than others or getting a trainer they're great you know hubs the american pet dog trainers i'm a member of the international association of applied animal behavior consultancy IAABC. if you go on there and find someone in your area take a class or just do a one session so you understand what your dog's postures eye contact 
and behaviors are telling you, then you can understand when your dog is prone to bite. It doesn't take a college course to figure it out. You have to watch their eyes, their ears, their tails, and their posture. And if you as an owner know that my dog gets more reactive when there is a toddler in the house or when we are walking or when we're dog park, then you as an owner need to come up with a better, you know, way to exercise your dog or a better somewhere to put your dog when there's an unavoidable stress in your home. You have to, as an owner, take responsibility. You mentioned uh, a couple minutes ago, and I wanted to get back to that, about collars. So are you, what you're saying is you're not recommending a specific collar, but the collar that an owner should select should be fit be for his dog or her dog. Am I correct? Or do you recommend a yeah, specific? Yeah, and that, no, I don't recommend a specific collar. I don't. You know, some dogs train fine on a flat collar. Not all of them, but some do. Some There's a whole spectrum of things there, but you know it's the wrong collar if your dog is reactionary and difficult to control. And that's where going to, you know, looking up the IAABC and finding a behaviorist or trainer in in your area that can help you understand the nature. You should avoid trainers that say, well, I only use this and well, you have to do this because every dog is different. Every situation is different. Every person is different. And a good 95% of dogs are trainable and, and just relish the communication. All dog training is, is teaching English as a second language and helping the dog associate good behavior with reward and compassion. That's interesting because when I walk Max, I use a a choke collar and I get a lot of criticism on that. But I found with Max that a slight tension on that, just he knows it's there. And if I use a flat collar, Max knows how to get out of that in two seconds. I mean, if that flat collar is loose enough to be comfortable on him, he can shake it immediately. And the other, some of the other, I've tried uh, other devices, harnesses and stuff, and he's he's really uncomfortable with that because he doesn't like to be hampered walking. So I, I think that's good advice is don't be led by a neighbor on what to use, but uh, go to an expert and get their advice about your dog because that can save you a lot of problems in the future. I'm always appalled at how people just, you know, how nosy people are. I encourage my dogs to play with their friends and interact with their friends. And I'm not an advocate of having your dog meet a stranger's dog or having a stranger give you their opinion. One lady came up to me once. I was sitting with my family and I'm kind of known in my area and her little awfully Jack Russell in the middle of town, which if you want to let your dog off leash, it's your business, but I would hope that it would be in a contained area. Anyhow, it came up. I've got three of my dogs under the table, my children, and I asked her to get her dog away. And she looked at me and she said, well, if your dogs aren't friendly, you shouldn't bring them into the village. And I said, well, my dogs are very friendly, but I am going to bite you. <laughs> and she, just, she just looked at me and walked very, I'm like, people really can't pass judgment on anyone else's life or situation. And if you remember that, you can just, you can just smile and kind of walk away or try to say something to make them laugh. But you obviously love Max. Anybody can see that. Choke collar is not the defining thing. There's never one defining thing that, that people can point to and say, you know, inhumane. 
Right. And I can see why some people, you know, why it's thought that because some people really misuse them. Yes, I mean, yes. It, and, uh, but what you're really, saying is Mac's response to the sound of the collar, which is how it was originally designed to be used, not to choke the collar. It was originally termed a correction collar, and you give a little snap of the chain, and the dog hears the noise and avoids pulling. If that works, fantastic. Stop right there. It's your cheapest solution. But if it doesn't, you know it, then you have to find someone that can help you discover something that can. Right. Hey, Sarah, I ask each of my guests this question, and, and that is, with all the human misery and suffering there is in the world, how can you justify spending time, resources, and money advocating for dogs and animals? You know, it's such an interesting question because when my clients complain of their dog chewing, you know, a sofa or sock, I encourage them just to open the paper. I mean, really, there's so much suffering in the world that just wrenches your heart out. I think we all have to follow our passions. There's so many millions of people in this country and everybody wants, you know, wants that feeling of home inside themselves. And if advocating for animals gives you that sense of security and sense of safety, that is what your intended purpose is here to do. That's a good answer because I've also found very few, if any, people who advocate for animals who are mean to people. Right. <laughs> so <you> know. <laughs> so uh, now, before we go, how can we find more information about you? What's your website? I think it's When Dogs Talk. Is that the name of your website? Yeah, the name of my business is When Dogs Talk, Sarah Listens. I encourage every one of my people to always listen to their dogs and learn how to listen to their dogs. You can find great articles from the Huffington Post. I've written uh, nine or 10 books on dog training and I do phone consultations and other different things. And you can find that all on my website, which is whendogstalk.com. And you can reach out to me there and on Facebook, which is Facebook slash whendogstalk. Well, I, I know Max would it was glad you're on today because, you know, he realizes uh, just how much dogs are sometimes misunderstood and how they're blamed for things that are really the fault of humans, either strangers who walk up to them or uh, their owners. And uh, Max wanted me to tell you he thinks you deserve a big tail wagging wolf for helping to teach humans how to understand dogs. Thanks. And Keith, follow the series because there'll be more that Max can read about and share with his friends. Okay. And what's the name of your blog on HuffPost again? It's just my name, Sarah with an H, Hodgson. Okay. Okay. Because I, I recommend the uh, 10 ways to avoid a dog bite in 2014 because, again, I believe that, you know, if circumstances are right or maybe wrong, that any dog, even Max, who is pretty placid around people and dogs, can and may bite. And right. uh, we need to recognize that fact and also recognize the signs. So, again, thank you so much for being with us today, Sarah. Thanks, Keith. I'll talk to you soon. Give Max a big kiss from me. Will do. We want to thank you, our listeners, for spending your valuable time with us. You're all fantastic, and we hope you tell your friends about Awesome Animal Advocates. And a special thanks to Mark Winter, co-founder and executive producer of Pet Life Radio, and our sponsors for making this episode of Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates possible. I'm Keith Sanderson, host and creator of Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates, saying thank you to all those animal advocates who work so hard on behalf of those who can't speak for themselves. Max A. Pooch gives them five big tail-wagging woofs. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand. 
only on PetLifeRadio.com.